Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Lion's Breath Movement podcast. This is episode number 54. Um, it is actually today's date is the Mar is March 6th on a Saturday. Um, I'm down here. I have a guest that I want to introduce. But before that, I've got a couple things, a couple housekeeping things um, to talk about real quick. Um, I am actually sitting downstairs in my new newly created gym. All right. I'm staring at a heavy bag. I've been using the app called Fight Camp. Um, I want to give a shout out to the guys at Fight Camp, especially Tommy Duquette. Um, shout out, Tommy. You guys have been fantastic. I personally haven't touched a barbell in, I think, about three months, but I feel good. You know, I'm down X amount, probably down 20 pounds of just straight cardio. Um, and goddamn, I want to get in this with, with my guests, but boxing is a, a whole different level of conditioning that my body and my mind have not ever encountered. Um, so if you guys have a heavy bag just sitting at home, I would um, I would say get yourself a pair of gloves and just start hitting that thing. Um, a lot of stress relief, et cetera. Uh, so it's been fantastic. Um, but, you know, I want to talk throughout all of this with my guests. So I'm going to introduce you. You guys have heard him twice. This is the third time he's been on. Adam Packy Pakila. What's up, all? What's and, up? And to all the people in Singapore, good morning. So, Zhao <laughs> Shanghai. Yeah, Singapore, um, actually. It's a major I, market. It's a major. It, it was a major market. <laughs> oh, no, it fell off? It fell off. So, Maybe we'll get him back with a little Mandarin. So, yeah. So, initially, I guess probably in the summer, um, Singapore, because Anchor, uh, Adam has a, a podcast and uses the app Anchor, and you can go on statistics to see where people are listening. Mm -hmm. And it was like in the summer, it was like the U.S. was whatever, say hands down the biggest, yeah, hands down the biggest, and then that in number in the number two spot, Singapore. <laughs> and I mean, I just blame Kevin really because hey man, he's got a he's got a specific type of woman that he attracts exactly exactly and guys unfortunately uh kevin uh super semen is not here today um i'm taking it personal i've been here three times one of which he's been here yeah I that's thought that was an awesome podcast Wait, and then the last two he's just he's ghosted me so the, yes that's right i forgot about that so the, the podcast we did with you last time mm -hmm. he didn't show up correct he told me he, he was, was a little in the bag yeah different he, reason this time yeah legit reason for not showing up this time this time is a legit reason the second time he was hung over correct and couldn't get here correct um but this time he's actually i want to get into this later in the in the podcast but he's doing um it's the david goggins challenge and adam and i were talking about this off um offline and the challenge is crazy and this is something i want to talk to you about goggins is a maniac goggins is a maniac um but i want to talk to you about this because i want to get your thoughts on this so the um the challenge for David Goggins, the David Goggins challenge is four by four by 48. So how that is, it's four miles uh, every four hours for 48 hours. Sounds miserable. Straight. So miserable. You're you, talking to a person who never ran more than 400 meters, it, it, and you're talking about running multiple four milers. So yeah. in, in the end, it adds up to two marathons in 48 hours. Yeah, that's a normal thing to do you ran a marathon i, I ran like to do well, another one right after that? no so that's that's where it comes in like i ran a marathon and it was fucking crazy mm -hmm. but with 
I mean, would this be a little, this is a little different because you're doing it in four hour windows. So you are testing yourself. For example, Kevin, his buddy um, is doing it. Kevin chose to run with his buddy, I think at like 3 a.m. this morning. And he also did at 11 p.m. last night. I was sleeping restfully at 3 a.m. Yeah, I was passed out. But part of the challenge is it's a huge mental obstacle. Oh, absolutely. So I want to ask you a question. Mm -hmm. Because we sit here and and David Goggins is a very popular, uh, influential person in, I guess, like the mindset and mental capacity world. Yeah. Why do people do things like this? Well, I think specifically for him, he is he was unhappy with the way that his life was going. Like, right. If I remember correctly, he was severely overweight. He like, was grossly obese, borderline. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't happy with the way his life was going. He was working like a dead end retail job. He had no skills and he decided that he wanted to be a SEAL. Right. Yeah. And then he put a plan together about how he was going to achieve that. And he had a very limited amount of time. And I think from, from that perspective, if you set a goal yeah. and it's lofty and it's, you know, like a real quick turnaround time and you achieve it, it shows you that you can actually accomplish a lot more than you give yourself credit for. Right. And, you know, not to not to bring this to a personal level, but I have to set goals for my clients all the time. And the hardest thing after you get certified, I'm a behavior analyst, the hardest thing you do is you have to figure out, I don't know this person, what's a normal amount of time for them to achieve this goal? Because you're kind of setting yourself a goal too, that you're going to teach them these skills in a certain amount of time. But then when you do it, you're like, oh, this is possible. Like they can do these types of things. And then you have a better understanding for the next goal that for you're going to set goal. for them. So it's not just set a goal and forget it. Right. It's set a goal, realize you can accomplish it, and then shock yourself and be like, oh shit, I who's can. to say that I can't break the world record for pull-ups, which he also did. And then there's people out there that um, complete opposite end of the spectrum. You have somebody like a comedian, overweight hilarious guy, Burt Kreischer, who his friends said, there's no way that you can run a marathon without training. He goes, F you, I'm going to do it. He does it in a little bit over five and a half hours. Really? Yeah. He ran. How much does he weigh? uh, I think at the time he was like close to 260, but he didn't train at all for the marathon. That's crazy because I ran it in like five hours and 20 20 minutes. And (laughs) And you trained your ass off. I trained my ass off. (laughs) Right. So, but that's the, that's the mental toughness thing. I mean, some people have that level of mental toughness naturally yeah i'm a father you're a father hopefully our kids get mental toughness from us yeah but then the other thing is sometimes you just have that thing that's out there and you want to accomplish it and the only way to accomplish that really strong motivating goal that you have is to be mentally tough yeah and for me personally i am i think i've said this before on this podcast but i hold myself accountable for a lot of things like i when i'm going to do something i put it out there to the world because the last thing that I want is to fail and then have people ask me about my failure 15, 16, 20, 30 times. Hey, man, I saw you had this fight. How did it go? Right. I want to tell them that I won. Right. I don't want to tell them, like, hey, I gave it my best shot. Because that's reliving that shitty feeling all over again. Yeah. And that's the, you know, making yourself accountable yeah. is important. But then also having people that you love and care about keep you accountable is Definitely. really important too. Definitely. So the fact that Kevin's doing this. Yeah. Kevin's fully capable of doing definitely two four mile intervals in four hours, but his friend might need that support for and sure. That push to get him through, yeah. and that's that's good on Kevin for doing that for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like we we talk about craziness. We're like, oh my god, that's crazy. Yeah, but it is crazy. But for someone who is maybe a runner or 
who wants to go out and set set lofty goals right and says okay listen i'm going to i'm going to do this mm-hmm. i'm going to i don't know work towards this goggins challenge and i'm going to complete it yeah and i think the important like a lot of people be like well shit they're fucking nuts and we said it they're yeah. fucking crazy but you know what? If you get yourself focused on something that you want to accomplish, no matter how crazy it sounds to somebody else, right. to you, it might say, you know what? I need this confidence booster yes. to put myself in check mm-hmm. and also check on how mentally strong am I? Right. You know, like for me, I ran the New York City Marathon. I wanted to say, you know what? I played football. This at the farthest I've ran is two miles before, and I am going to run a marathon. Right. You know, like you had that goal and you broke it down into digestible chunks. Exactly. Figured out the training regimen that needed to be done so that that goal seemed far less daunting. Yeah, exactly. And that's and that's that's how my mind works. If I sit here and be like, okay, I need to lose 40 pounds for a fight and I've got three months to do it, that seems insurmountable. But when you break it down, you're like, oh, there's X many weeks, X many days, I figure out how much I need to lose and my my plan for doing that. I adjust my diet, I adjust my training regimen, and then ultimately it starts coming off. Right. And I have yet to miss weight for any sort of competition, but I've started at a goal that seems insurmountable. Right. And that's, you know, when people say things are crazy for other people to do, I think what they're doing in that situation is being really empathetic and they're putting themselves in that person's shoes. Yeah. But what you're not doing is accounting for all the work that other person put in. Exactly. Like I have not run at all because that's just not in my wheelhouse right now. So four hours, every four hours running four miles is crazy to me. To you. But it's completely doable for someone like Kevin or his friend. Exactly. Or, or Goggins because they're out there doing that constantly. 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 So they've got a really good foundation. they got a really good base. Definitely. And I think um, – and I've been um, – I've been a victim of this. And I think you bring up a very good point about goal setting goals. Mm -hmm. And listen, at the end of the day, if you shoot for a small goal and you hit the small goal, you left, I say you leave shit on the table because Mm -hmm. you're, you're shooting for a small goal. Right. Right. So when I talk about in sales or goals, et cetera, you want to, you want to set goals for yourself that seem crazy to other people. Right. Right. You want to set goals that are insurmountable Mm -hmm. because you want to achieve as much as you can. Right. Okay. But sometimes that can be daunting for people. Like you, you talk about, and you brought up a good point and I want to talk about this because this, this scares people away. When you say 40 pounds, they sit there and say, and I've been a victim of this, Mm -hmm. like fuck 40 pounds. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of weight. I'm not going to be able to do it. Like automatically they're going to say, even with like a marathon, like, wow, you ran a marathon 26 miles. There's no way I can do that. Well, you well, can yeah, with do that it. with that attitude. You're right. right. You can't. But people automatically, and I think a majority of the people do this, will set high goals and get so flustered and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just discouraged. Discour- yeah, very discouraged, and don't take the time to break it down. Right. You know, and and part of me is I'm kicking myself because I've probably talked to you about this. The 75 hard challenge. Yes. I'm a victim of that because I had failed. I failed three times. Mm-hmm. Okay. And no, you haven't succeeded three times. You haven't failed yet. Cause you're still true. trying to do it. True. I'm still trying to do right. it. Right. But what I got myself caught up when was like 75 days. Right. That's r- ridiculous. Instead of saying, you know what? Let me get through the first week. Right. Let's just one go foot in front of the other yeah. one day at a time. Let's go 
a week. Right. Boom. You know, let's go two weeks. There's a reason why the 12 step program is successful. And it's because you can't look at, I'm never going to have a drink for the rest of my life. That is completely overwhelming for a person that's been an alcoholic up until She's this point. very overwhelming. So you say, I'm not going to have a drink today. I'm not going to have a drink when I go out later. I'm not going to have, I'm not going to go out later because I, I don't want to be around the temptation. Right. So you literally take it one day at a time. Yeah. And it becomes less overwhelming. It becomes less anxiety producing. It makes you, and also the other thing that specifically with the 12 step program, the community that's involved with yeah. that. It's honestly, I think the reason it's successful. I looked at the studies, and it's not the fact that it's, it's you know attached to religion. It's not the fact that it is close to where you are. It's the fact that the community is constantly uplifting you. And if you stumble and if you fall off the wagon, yeah. they are there to bring you back up. No one's chastising you and saying get the fuck out of the club. Right. They're saying no, come back. We want to help you. We want to help you. We, what do you need? Right. And that's that's the thing that's really important about goal setting is set crazy goals. Have more attainable objectives in the short term. And in the event that you fail at your goal, you're still closer than you were when you started. Exactly. And then you've got a good baseline for the next time that you're going to go around and do it. You only fail if you stop trying. Exactly. You're, no, you're 100% correct. And, and um, I think a lot of people, myself included, you get yourself caught up in like, oh, I got to lose all this weight. I got to lose 40 pounds. But, but like you said, listen, let's take it. You literally, let's take it day by day. Yeah. Okay. If, if you're a person trying to lose weight, okay, normally at lunch, I have a bag of chips with my sandwich. Eliminate the bag of chips. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's in a way- You're that, plateauing with your weight loss because you're doing CrossFit. Switch it up. Boom. 20 pounds. 20 in three months. Exactly. Doing cardio and bag work. Bag work. Exactly. Um, so that's, you know, that's a thing where, yeah, the David Goggins challenge is crazy to a lot of people because it's craziness. Right. But um, for people that- want to set goals and achieve goals. And I think you and I are on the same level. I like to put myself in situations where I'm very uncomfortable and see how I mentally can get out. That's why that's one of the reasons why I ran the marathon. Right. Can I mentally do this? Right. Right. That's why I did the sprint triathlon. My thing was, can I get out of the fucking water? Like mm -hmm. I'm in the ocean. I never swam. Can I swim 800 meters in the ocean? Right. You know, like very nerve wracking. But we, I heard there's sharks around here and yeah. like, I got to get in the water with these man eating creatures. I Can get, I even, am I going to make it? Am I going to survive? I have all my appendages when I leave. <laughs> right. But for me, it was like, you know what? I need to do this for myself. People are like, you're crazy, this and that. But I had to do it for me. Right. Just because I, I don't know. I, I enjoy the, the trying new things, the boxing, right. the sprint triathlon, the, the CrossFit you know, heavy lifting, um, all that stuff. Cause I like to test myself. Right. Would you agree? Like a hundred percent. I, I mean, I physically put myself in compromising positions because I do Brazilian jujitsu. Right. When it comes to that skill, it's, I learn a move that week from my coach. I have no previous knowledge of it. I know maybe the position and how to get into it, but I don't know how to finish it. And sometimes I literally have to be in a compromising position with another person's nuts in my face trying to figure out how I'm going to get this move off. And I tell this to my students all the time. They're like, we're doing a move. They're trying something. I go, great, you got it. Do it a thousand more times until you're not terrible at it. You won't be good after you do it a thousand times. You're just going to be less terrible. But that slow progression, yeah. eventually you'll become good at it. You go from the white belt to the blue belt to the purple to the brown to the black. And you don't stop at black. You keep going. And you get stripes and you get different colors. And so it it works in that stepwise fashion, but if you're 
if you're constantly successful the first time you try something, yeah. You're yeah. not really achieving much. You're just you're kind of staying in your wheelhouse. You have to be uncomfortable. You I, have, I grew yeah. up the same thing. Like when people would tell me, Packy, you can't do this. I mean, I don't know if we talked about it on this podcast, but I had a party my senior year, like oh, yeah. freshman we, year, a, and I jumped off the roof of my house mostly because people said, said there's you, no way you could do it. Yeah. But I was there I did, for that. It was what, amazing. <laughs> what I did was I stood at the end of my house. I jumped as far as I could, and I got close to the side of the pool. And I knew that I was going up 20 feet. So quick math, if I can get close to the pool on the ground, I'm definitely going to be able to get into the pool if I'm up 20 feet. Pythagorean's theorem, A, play, a squared plus <laughs> B squared equals C squared. Like it's going to work. But to everyone else, it thinks they think I'm crazy. Right. They but to you. Bananas. But it was but totally to you, doable. I had zero fear. You had zero fear zero. because you took did the, the work. You did the work before. Yes. You, you, you know, you, you mapped out how far you had to go. Right. I personally would never have done something like that. <laughs> And I, I, their own. I, I remember, I can picture you right now on the top of your house about to jump. And I'm with uh, our buddy, Mike Cron, who wanted to do it after he you. He was very sober. Too. Yeah, he was really sober. <laughs> and I'm like, this motherfucker's nuts. And I just, and you were just like, yeah, check this out. Did you do it more than once? Three times. Three times. Yeah. So, I mean, just going back to that, it's like, you know, it's crazy to some people, but I, I feel like the folks that will achieve the most in life mm -hmm. are the ones that want to put themselves in uncomfortable situations. Yes. You know, you were a fighter. Mm -hmm. Are you still fighting? No, I'm not fighting anymore. Okay. But you're on the mat now. Yeah. I'm doing jujitsu. Why, jiu why are you doing solely that? What, what makes you want to be on that mat? Um, first of all, the community is ridiculous. Like there are People that I only see on jujitsu, but if they were to ask me a favor, I would probably give them help faster than I would somebody that I work with every day. Right. It's 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 a very weird situation. You literally blood, sweat, and tears are being exchanged freely between people, and you don't really have a lot of choice in that. And then you're trusting these people that every time you tap in you know brazilian jiu-jitsu or any martial art for the fact for the matter can you just talk yeah i know we've talked about it but if we have new listeners like, can you just talk about the sport like just give so us a brazilian quick... jiu-jitsu is originally created um by the gracie family in brazil hence the brazilian jiu-jitsu because there was a guy matsumeda from japan that came over that was teaching them judo and they adopted a bunch of the skills to be more ground fighting judo is more of a stand-up base mm -hmm. and there's you know japanese jiu-jitsu and also american jiu-jitsu and all sorts of other things but Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu predominantly deals with stuff on the ground right? because if you are going to be in a fight, most fights end up on the ground and they wanted to have an effective means for people to defend themselves. There's a common misnomer that it was created so little people can beat up big people. It's really so that little people that have skills can beat up big people that don't have skills. Mm -hmm. A 135 pound woman could twist you a 225 pound man into a pretzel and you would have no idea what was going on. And if Is you this were on the, doing, like, so the goal of this sport, because mm -hmm. we've talked about this, I want to do it, but my shoulders are fucked up. Yeah. Um, the goal of the sport is you're on the ground, right? Yeah. yeah. You're on the ground. So do you start so, on the ground. So the way that, so I'll give you a history. So the history was that it started as essentially self-defense and then it morphed into a sport because it was really popular and they devised point systems. So every certain amount of moves is a certain amount of points. And both fights start standing. So there has to be a takedown. Either you can do a wrestling takedown, you can do a judo throw, or you can pull guard, which is you essentially pull the person 
essentially on top of you. And then you wrap your legs around their backs so that they're locked in that position. Mm-hmm. It's called close guard. And then there's positions that are branch off of that and points that are awarded for getting into certain positions or reversing certain positions, very similar to wrestling. And then there's submissions, which is kind of the bread and butter of it is if you're trying to hurt me, how do I stop you from hurting me? I kill you. So getting back to the trust factor, every time you tap in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you have to trust that the person is going to is going to let go because if they don't, you're going to die. And they're like, oh, how are you going to die from an arm lock? Well, I break your arm and then I kill you because now you only have one arm. How are you going to tap from you know a leg lock? I break your leg. You can't run away. I kill you. How are you going to tap to it? How, how are you going to die from a choke? I cut off the blood supply. We've all seen John Wick. I cut off the blood supply to your brain and you die. That's how it works. So I have to trust that these people who are highly skilled killers, essentially, are going to let me go. And but is that, that is that the mentality in the gym? Is no, it's it's so. But is that is that more of how it was created? Like the sport? it was created as self defense, and it morphed into more of a sport. So you're so you're you're basically saying as as a, if you're in a situation with self defense. Oh yeah, jiu jitsu is. I teach um I teach a fundamentals class um at the gym that I, that I work at. Talk about that. Did you get into, you just got into coaching uh, recently? I mean, I've been teaching. I taught for my job. Right. I teach kids with special needs and, and training staff. I have coached track when I was in, I mean, I was captain of my track team. So there's an element right. of leadership and teaching in that. Then there was also teaching as an assistant coach after that. So I've been teaching and instructing my entire life. And, and you love it. I love it. I love having people better themselves through my failures and my advice. Like that's essentially what it comes down to. It's like, I've done this, I, I failed. That. I want to give you that knowledge. So hopefully you don't fail as many times. You're going to fail, but hopefully you don't fail as many times. Right. And I started doing a fundamentals class specifically geared to teaching the concepts. So a lot of times when you do these classes, you're learning submissions. You're learning, this is an arm lock. This is a choke. This is how you pass someone's guard and, you know, get out of having their legs wrapped around you so you could free yourself. But I was trying to teach them more the concepts of, this is how you keep someone in this position. Mm-hmm. So, or this is what you don't want to have happen if you're on the bottom, because I've got small women in this class. I've got big guys in this class. I've got sometimes law enforcement in this class. Are these new, are these new people to the sport? Some of them are new and some of them are my friends that just like the way that I teach. Like right. We're we'll the, take your same, the same belt level and I'll use them as dummies and we'll show things. What belt are you? I'm a purple belt. Okay. Yeah. And I, I just like that approach because I don't, to get off on slightly on a tangent, the reason why I developed it this way is because a lot of law enforcement interactions go bad because of lack of training on the part of the police officer. They get four hours of training a year right. in anything, and it's minimal in terms of actual self-defense self-defense or subduing somebody. I mean, there's a very simple move that you can do to somebody, and you have one of their arms, and they can't move, and they're not being hurt, and you can easily have another person, they work in pairs and tandems, cuff them. And if there's not a person there that can cuff them, you could hold them and keep them at bay without anyone being hurt, no one being shot, no one's being tased, yeah. non-lethal, fully non-lethal force. And it's just the concept right. of stabilizing another human being. I want to go in that direction. Yeah, go ahead. Um, because I've, I've got a friend who's a police officer, but... Um, you know, when all this stuff was going on, you know, at the last year, mm-hmm. sh- you know, police shootings, all that stuff. Um, you know, a lot of people spoke about defunding the police, etc. Yeah, that's great. Which I think is absolutely fucking nuts. Yep. But um, I remember reading an article just talking about, no, we're not, we don't, we don't need to defund the police. We just need to give them better training. Correct. 
But also at the same token, two things. Cops need better training. We know that. Yes. But also, you're, we're not in the situation that they're in. Right. You know, so it's like, it's almost like life or death. Who's yeah. going to die? Mm-hmm. You or me? Right. I have a gun and I want to go home to my kid. Right. You might have a gun and I still want to go home to my kid. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, let me ask you, do, do you feel um, that police officers in our country should be trained better? I absolutely think they should be trained better. I think that the defund the police movement is a terrible brand. I don't think that it convey. I definitely think there's um, people out there that don't want police. They think they should have no funding, but which is, which that's, is that's ridiculous. But the defund the police is just poor branding. They want the funding to be taken away from the police and be put into other areas because right. they think that that could be better served, but they don't want to do away with the police. In the same token of bad branding, I haven't thought of a better word. You need to refund the police. You don't give them more money. You just reallocate the funds that they have to better training. Give them more than four hours a year of self-defense training. I personally think that every police officer in this country, military police officer, um, secret service, whoever it is, whoever person is in a law enforcement capacity, corrections officers, juvenile detention, anybody should be at least a blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That's an hour a week. For two years. That would give really? you a re- – Oh, yeah. An hour a week for two years. My buddy is a cop down in Norwalk. He said he spent four hours at the range the other day. Four hours at the range practicing. And he is a person who is a very experienced boxer and actually will refuse to draw his gun. But he trains that so that way if he does have to draw right. his gun, he will be practiced and he can be the most efficient possible. He's also a purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So – He's a he's like the ultimate. He's a fantastic example. But you're also but the problem is um, it's also. But here's the issue. It's counterintuitive. Yeah. Don't think that by teaching people what appears to be and I'm doing air quotes now violence Mm -hmm. will teach them to be nonviolent. But that's exactly what happens. If you teach kids what happens when you're bullied, you don't want to bully someone. You don't want someone to feel like that. And you teach them in a safe, um, a safe way that there are people out there who have cauliflower ears, mm-hmm. who are 120 pounds, who can kill you. Yeah. Just because you're bigger doesn't mean you should pick on them because you never know what that other person is going through, or what they've gone through, or what they can do exactly. to you. Exactly. So by putting people in these situations, you got a lot of these brody cops that are like, oh, I'm, I, nobody's going to do it. I will tear you apart if you have right. no training. Yeah. The training that the police department gives you, I'm 38 years old and 195 pounds. If you have no training, I will tool you. Yeah. And that's not because I'm fantastic. It's just because you have an overconfidence in your abilities because you think because you're big and strong and can lift heavy weights and you have a gun, right. I can get that gun away from you very quickly. Yeah. Because it's at your hip. And if I do a little bit of misdirection, it's lights right. out. And I'm not a bad person, thankfully. Right. But there are bad but people. There are out there. bad people out there that would do that. And there are by the way, I've met people who are fuck. Mike went down. Mike down. I have met people that are that that um Go. Overly good. confident coming into a Brazilian jiu-jitsu class. Yeah. That just get their ass kicked. And they kicked. get their ass kicked and then they get humbled and they come back because they right. don't like that feeling. They're like, I want to make sure this never happens to me again. And then they keep them in the back of their mind and they become great students and they become fantastic That's partners. It. And they the anger yeah. that they felt and they were taken out of the world by being a douchebag, it goes away because yeah. they realize it's not really that important. Exactly. That's what with me and, and the boxing thing with Keith's yeah. brain coming. I keep coming back to it. Right. Because initially, and I'm not good at all. Right. I'm getting better, but initially I was fucking terrible. Yeah. And I was, you know, I talked about this at the beginning of the podcast, but 
um, you know, it put my body physically and mentally in a state that I'd never been in. Right. The cardio, the conditioning. I thought, you know, listen, CrossFit's a great sport. Uh, I thought I was in really good shape doing CrossFit. You're in CrossFit shape. CrossFit shape. Right. But the boxer and the fighter shape is a conditioning level that I've never felt. Correct. You, you're it, probably, let me, I'm going to, I'm going to put myself in your head. You probably had, what do they do? Like two, three minute rounds. So yeah, there's three minute rounds, one minute rest. Okay. So you're doing three minute rounds. I would bet after probably the first or second three minute round halfway through when your arms were dead and you couldn't pick them up, you're like, there's no fucking way I'm going to go another minute and a half. How have I only been going a minute and a half? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And our, my, um, our friend that we went to high school with, uh, Chris Amrod was over here last night and I put him through an eight round, just heavy bag functional fitness workout mm -hmm. and our our friend chris is in very good shape yes eight rounds three minutes around one minute rest mm -hmm. after round two he's on the ground yeah breathing like so heavy i was like you're not gonna make it through round eight yeah you know but did he yeah he made it of through because he he's mentally tough but you're meant but again it's the same thing it's like you're punching the bag you're punching the bag you're not used to it you're at you have a minute left of punching the bag you know like, how the fuck am i going to do this mm -hmm. suck it up you got to do it and you got to do it um guys listen we have um we're at the 30 minute mark i'm gonna i'm gonna stop this and we're gonna hop back on uh talk to you guys in a bit talk to you. all right folks listen we're you back um the last few episodes we've been just doing an hour half hour and then we stop because I'm using uh, Anchor's website, so I can only record for a half hour. So we'll bang out another half hour here um, with Adam Packy Pakila. But I want to give a shout out real quick. Um, a friend of mine, Adam from Fairfield University, um, I'm not going to say his last name, created or him and his buddies created a drink called Hop Water. Um, so it's sparkling hop water. Um, basically, it's it get, their, their thing is it's no alcohol, no calories, same buzz. So there's there's herbs in it. So I can still drive after drinking one. I don't I, I don't know because you know it's it doesn't say there's any alcohol on here. No, it says no alcohol. Yeah, so it yeah. shouldn't it shouldn't make my uh, no. BAV go up. No, no, yeah, no. I think you can you, you can definitely drive. I fucking with... I love seltzer. Oh, I love yeah. seltzer. I have like a whole thing in my head about like I can. It's a little bubbles. It's a big bubbles. Oh. How long the bubbles stay when it gets warm? Room temperature, dude. I'm we're I'm obsessed. We're, we're obsessed with uh, like yeah. seltzer in this house. But um, just want to give him a shout out. It's if you guys go to the the Lion's Breath movement. I did a story on it this morning. It's hop water, sparkling hop water, um, no alcohol with the buzz. So really, you're drinking this. Uh, I guess it just gives you a. I think everyone takes is is having a different quote unquote buzz, mm -hmm. but it's supposed to give you kind of the relaxed, stress free right. feeling. Um, so I want to give a shout out to Hopwater and Adam. Appreciate you, man. Um, so uh, let's get back into what we were talking about with uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Mm -hmm. um, what? Talk to me about like the cardio level. Ver like, are you guys, if you have a, if you're teaching a class, yeah, right. And you, in that class, you have people that have been doing it for 10 years and you have a guy that's doing it day one. Mm -hmm. What, what are you guys doing? So one of the other reasons I kind of gravitated towards BJJ was because I was never the biggest proponent of static stretches, warmups for the sake of warmups. What we do in every Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu class I've ever taken 
whether it be any school that I've been to or schools that I'm visiting, it's always functional. So you do movements that relate to the movements you're going to do when you're actually training. So it's instead of just, you know, stretching and, you know, touching your toes and stretching your hamstrings, you're running around in a circle and you're doing, you know, side shuffles because the side shuffle is the way that you're going to move out of somebody's guard. You get down on your back and you do what's called a hip escape because a hip escape is a way that you're going to, you know, escape somebody's top pressure. You're going to do forward rolls because when you get thrown, you need to make sure that you can roll appropriately out of it. So it's all functional type stuff. And it doesn't matter your level of fitness. You're doing it as hard as you can when you start and you do it for as long as you can. And it's the entire purpose is to get your body warmed up for the moves you're going to do and get your heart rate jacked up so you can get your workout in. Mm -hmm. Now, the cardio that's required when you're actually doing the training, Mm -hmm. there's drills and you try to do the drills. Maybe we do them for two minutes, maybe we do 20 reps. And that teaches you the muscle memory so that when you go and do the actual, they call it pojada, which is. Brazilian, uh, Portuguese for fighting. Mm-hmm. When you do fighting, like free fighting, which is the rolling, the sparring, then you've got your body warmed up, you've got your muscle memory keyed in for the moves, mm-hmm. and then you can try them in that moment. And mostly what happens with a person that is new is, and it's probably what you're experiencing, and I'm gonna give you some tips on this later from, from a boxing standpoint, yeah. you're tense. Yeah. And when you're tense all the time, you exude a lot of energy, you're, you're burning a lot of excess energy. So when you have your white belts show up, they're tense all the time and they're always going 100%. Yeah. But when you roll with a black belt, they're flowing, man. They're yeah. like rubber. They're chilling. And then all of a sudden, boom, they're as strong as you've ever felt them, as heavy as you've ever felt them, and you're done. Yeah. So you progress from the white belt to the black belt level where you learn when to use your strength. Yeah. You use – like. I, I'm not a big into powerlifting, but I would imagine that if you were stiff while you're doing a power clean – you're not going to get it up as well as when you you let it snap and then you catch it and then it's, it's a different movement. But people that are starting, they're like, I got to be strong the whole time, right? And they fail. Yeah, I mean, I actually, it's, it's funny you bring this up because um, that was one of my issues, and that's what I've learned a lot about boxing and also reading up on on some of the best boxers, yeah, uh, ever have the ability to spike their heart rate. Yep. But and at any whoop, given moment, drop it right back down, drop it down. Mm-hmm. And it's all, I mean, listen, we talk about breathing, but it's all, it's, it's basically, you have to be aware of your heart rate. Mm-hmm. You have to be aware of when to utilize it. And when you do have a break, how to get your body back into a calm state. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's, a minute in between rounds, a minute is not a long time. A minute is not a long time at all, but the, the best boxers in the world are capable of crushing it for three minutes, Yep. right, when they need to, mm-hmm. but also utilizing that one minute to get them back. Yep. There's specific breathing techniques. You know, you talk a lot about yes. you know, box breathing and square breathing. That's actually really effective. Um, one of the things that uh, you learn when you're boxing and also when you're doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is when you're going to go for a move, it's very similar to when you're doing a rep when you're weightlifting is you need to breathe out. Yeah. So when you're throwing your punch, it's like you have an actual, you snap at the end and you have a, you have an exertion and you like, if you kia when you're doing karate, mm-hmm. like all that type of stuff, it sounds silly, but it serves a purpose. There's and a it purpose becomes, behind it. It becomes second nature to you when you're doing it. You see, watch, if you watch people shadow box that are professional boxers, yeah. like they're breathing constantly. Constantly. And that helps keep them regulated when right. you watch professional runners and professional sprinters, they're breathing in a very rhythmic fashion because when you start to hyperventilate, 
then that doesn't do anything for your energy and it helps you bring your heart rate back down exactly. when you need to bring it back down. Cause you don't want your heart rate at 180 beats a minute in that small one minute window. Right. You want it back down to like 120. Right. Because you, you know, it's going to go back up to 180 and your body's exerting a lot of effort when it's at 180 beats a minute. So you gotta, you gotta chill out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, with the fight camp app and what I've learned and what we've done, I do a lot of, um, the, um, the workouts with a guy named Tommy Duquette, who's like, he was like an amateur national champion. And in every time in between the minutes, he takes 20 seconds or 25 seconds. Guys, just breathe. Nice. That's awesome. Right? Get your hands up. Yep. Breathe. Which is counterintuitive because they're tired. So you think you want them down. Right. But you Hand, don't. Hands up. Yep. And just take 20 to 25 seconds and breathe. Yep. Because that. And, don't and, be hunched over. Don't be hunched over. Head up, open your lungs, open your lungs and breathe. Yep. And I think that is a, a lost, uh, it's, it's breathe, breathing correctly when working out. <laughs> you're so animated right now. I know breathing <laughs> correctly when you're working out, I, myself included, we don't completely understand that the, the amount it benefits yes. you. Yes. Because when you're going all out, all you want to do is bah, 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 especially the CrossFit. You also forget to breathe. You forget <laughs> to breathe. So I remember in CrossFit, we're doing burpees, okay? Mm -hmm. And when you're going fast on burpees, you actually forget to breathe. Yeah, I believe you. You know, and at rep 15 or 20, you're like, fuck, I am shot. Mm -hmm. But I haven't taken a breath in 20 seconds right. or 20 reps. Right. You know what I mean? Um, so just going back to the boxing thing, you know, the breathing. Uh, the the mental challenge, especially I'm sure with Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, boxing, MMA, is you have to be conditioned, but you also have to be mentally sharp. Yes. Right. You have to know. Oh shit! I got to keep breathing. That's the most important thing right now. I need to keep breathing, but also, how am I gonna how am I gonna attack this guy? Am I gonna give him a one two jab? Am I right. gonna give him a three? I mean, talk about on the mats. Like well, that type of stuff becomes again second nature. You drill something so many times that when you go to a sparring session, you see it without seeing it. There's, I mean, a lot of people are familiar with this concept. I know you are like flow states. You do something, you don't even realize that you're doing it. Yeah. You, you know, you shoot the gap when you're playing football because you see the opening and you don't even think, oh shit, there's the gap. You're just automatically, you're there. Right. So it's, you condition your body and your mind to act impulsively, yeah. instinctually in a good way. And the same thing happens. There are times where I, there's a, there's a guy in, I can't know. I don't. I never know if it's New Zealand or Australia, but it, it, his Instagram handle is Blind Grappler. He's blind, fully mm -hmm. blind, mm -hmm. and he is a brown belt, very competitive, you know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner. You don't need to see to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You can feel the other person's body because you're constantly touching them. So when you feel something, you naturally react. I know that if the person moves this way and frees up my leg to put this over here, then I can grab their arm, and then all of a sudden I can break it. So there's definitely an element of being in a flow state, but you can't get there without doing the reps. Yeah. You can't get to the point where you're breathing naturally every single time you throw a punch without consciously doing that when you first start right. until you master that skill. Right. And by the way, there's levels to that skill. Too. Oh, there's uh, levels to this shit. Like there, that's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. There's there's an insane amount of levels here. Yeah. You know, initially doing a four round workout mm -hmm. in boxing, I was shot at the end of it. Right. But now, you know, I'm doing six, eight rounds where I've learned how to adapt, mm. right? You know yeah, what I mean? I to different movements. I'm going to give you a movement later that's going to fuck your He's world He's going to fuck my world up. <laughs> but uh, 
actually, I feel like I ask you this shit all the time, but I'm, I'm so interested in the sport. How long is a round in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Like, it depends upon your belt level. So typically speaking, if we're doing uh, like a sparring match at, at our school, yeah. at the gym, five, six minutes. So five, six minutes, what are you doing? Like, walk. We're trying to kill each other. I know, but for walk. fun. I'm, it's I'm, murder yoga. I'm, walk. It's involuntary. It's involuntary gymnastics. Okay, so listen. I will, I'm going to put you in a hypothetical situation. Go ahead. You, it's you and I. Mm-hmm. I have never done Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Right. We're on the mat. Right. Where, where are you going after? First of all, my heart rate's not going above 120 beats a minute. Not, I'm going to be super chill. Super chill. Super chill the whole time. Uh, you're, you know exactly how you're going to take me down. Uh, I do, but generally speaking, I don't take down new people just because they don't have the ability to fall appropriately. So we'll, a lot of times if you have people on the mat and it's a relatively you know, dense amount of people, you start on your knees. Because takedowns take up a lot of room. Oh, okay. If you don't know how to fall appropriately or you don't know how to throw someone appropriately, a lot of people decide the person you're throwing can get hurt. Like you can easily run into somebody else. So generally speaking, we start from our knees just for safety purposes. If we're doing competition training with people that are more experienced, that's invite only, then that's where you know a lot of people start standing up and whatnot. But generally speaking, we start from our knees. And if I was going against someone like you, I would pull guard. I would just kind of lay back. I would either put you in half guard, which is both of my legs around one of your legs or I'd put you in full guard and have both of my legs so kind of around the small of your back. You'd have to take me down or oh, you'd be starting on your knees. Okay. So starting on my, knee, on my knees, I would literally just scoot forward and like put my legs around you. It'd be really simple. Really simple. Yeah. And, even, oh, and by the way, I even if you shit. didn't want me to do that and you had a hold of my legs, I would do other moves that would get me to a safe position. And sometimes people think that they're in a safe position being on top, but in actuality, you're not safe because I know what I'm doing on the bottom. So like, Rest, um, the neutral position in wrestling where you're kind of on all fours, that's called turtle in Brazilian jiu-jitsu just because we like to make up our own names for things because yeah. we're egotistical. So they you have someone on top that's new and they're like, oh, I got him in the, in the wrestler's position. I got him in the neutral position. And then all of a sudden we're back to where we started and you're in my guard. You're like, oh, I'm on top. And then boop, I got your arm and I'm breaking it. So that's the sport is wild. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, Especially if you don't if you don't see it and you don't know it, it looks like a foreign language to you. It's like I don't understand how what just happened. But if you are experienced, you see more, but you, there's still subtle stuff that you don't pick up on. Like I'll ask different questions in class because I'm a purple belt as opposed to a white belt, and there's a black belt over there that already knows the answer and is asking a completely different question that I could not have conceived. So, uh what are the belts again? How's it go? Um I'm not going to get into kids' belts because that's too confusing. No, no, no. Just But uh, traditionally, for adults, it goes white, blue, purple, brown, black, and then there's derivations of black. You get coral belts, which is like red and white. Then you get the upper, upper echelon for the people that like change jiu-jitsu as a culture, as a sport. Those are just the straight red belts. Red belt. Do you know Greg Davis? Yeah. So he, I know, well, I know of him through your podcast. Yeah. So uh, he's my neighbor. He lives like right down the street. Oh, really? Yeah. I ran into him. So he got back on the mat after- Go for him. I think it was maybe 15 years. Wow. He's a he's he was a brown belt. Yeah. And um he decided to get back and I was talking to him he's like it, it's it's amazing to get back on yes. and he's like you know he was a little you know pissed off that he stopped I guess 50 I don't know I'm saying 15 years ago at a brown belt when he was close to I guess getting us black. Yeah. Um but he's so happy to be back like on the mat yeah. again. And for me it's like I've never done it so yeah. it's not it's not like a, I understand it. Yeah. But I just think it's wild. If anyone out there is thinking about doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, my suggestion is, one, go. Yeah. Try it out. Be open and honest. Like You constantly say, like, I have issues with my shoulders. And this is going to sound, again, counterintuitive. 
roll with upper belts, roll with the purples, the browns, the blacks. Those are the people who are not going to spaz out and freak out and hurt your shoulder by trying something that, that they shouldn't be that trying. They shouldn't be trying or they're scared of losing. A lot of this has to do with ego and, and really lower belts hurt people unintentionally because they don't understand the concept of letting your ego go and not being smashed. But purple belts, brown belts, black belts, they've been smashed by so many people and they're trying things. Like I get, I'll get wrist locked by a white belt because I'm trying something else. And they're like, they're so happy they wrist locked a purple belt and I could care less because Whatever. I know that I was trying something else. Right. Same thing goes with the black belt. You, you sit there and you see that they're the lions and they're gonna be the ones that hurt me. It's the exact opposite. The are, Cubs are going to be the ones that hurt right. you. The the big lion with the huge, gorgeous mane, they're going to be the ones that protect you. Yeah. And they're going to be the ones that teach you and you're safe and you're not going to get hurt. And the other thing is you can't hurt them. You don't have the skill to, to get to, to, to hurt get them. them or hurt them. And um, if it happens, it's been happened so many times to them. Like you get, I, I once caught my coach with my toenail inside his mouth and cut him. In right, his mouth? In his mouth. That's and amazing. I felt like shit, but he's like, bro, it's okay. It's okay. He's chill Brazilian. He could have cared less. So is it really competitive in the gym? It can be. There's like, definitely people that are Like, are there, are there, because, you know, go, I'm just going back to the CrossFit. Like, we're always very competitive with, like, times and no, weights. It's not like that. It's not like that. It's no. not like, yo, I'm coming in here and I'm going to kick your ass or, like, I'm going to take you down. That, that gets old fast. And you either won't last in that gym or that attitude won't last in you. So your attitude is, we're here to make each other better. Yeah. 100%. Yes. Absolutely. And are there like a tournaments and stuff? Absolutely. There's tournaments. I mean, not now because of COVID, but there's, I mean. Were you doing them? Yeah. I, actually, the. Um, oh, yeah. Tap Cancer Out Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu tournaments uh, the benefit charities that help uh, fight cancer and, and devote to cancer research. There's tournaments for them. There's the International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Foundation or Federation, IBJJF. There's NAGA, uh, North American Grapplers Association. There's little local tournaments. Mm -hmm. We live in Connecticut. Yeah. And there's a there's a tournament in Newtown called Gammon. There's Fuji. There's tournaments all over the place. And then there's Do you these, enjoy doing the tournaments? I fucking love tournaments. I love it, it's, it's competition. Puts, yeah, that's a fuck. It's, it's competition. Beauty. It's awesome. And like, I love I love the spectacle ones. I like the ones where it's me and you and there's a stage and people are looking at us. Because again, it gets back to that accountability thing. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. So I always liked that one on one. On the mats, one-on-one mm -hmm. -on, -one on the field, one-on-one -on, -one on the track, but you train with your team. And the tournaments, that's when the rubber meets the road. That's when you test your metal. And I don't care whether it's a tournament where you have to do five matches in a day. Yeah. You might have to do five matches and the rest between them is not a lot. And you have to weigh in right before your first match. You got to go out and train and then you've never – you don't know this guy. And that's the other thing with Jiu-Jitsu. At lower levels, there's not a lot of tape on these guys. Like even when we're playing high school football, oh. we have days where we can so, watch the, watch Greenwich and figure right. out what their offense was doing. So when you go into one of these tournaments, mm -hmm. like you know who you're fighting? No. Oh, you don't. Sometimes I mean, at the black belt level, a lot of those guys know each other. But you go in, you but go like at purple belt level. I don't know these fucking. So guys. when you initially, let's just put yourself in a situation. Uh, you're doing a tournament. Yeah. You see this guy. Yeah. What do you? What's your weight at? Uh, right now, I'm like 195. 195. So would you be fighting at 195? No, I fight closer to like 180, 185. So if you have never seen this guy fight, mm -hmm. how do you dictate what you're going to do? Or is it the same routine for you? I, do, is I it, have my game plan. Yeah. Like, is your game plan the same game plan yeah. for everybody? Yeah. Okay. Because it's my game plan. 
I impose, I'm a person that looks to impose my will on my opponent. Yeah. Other people, like that, I have a coach, I fucking love rolling with him, Stefano. He's a black belt. Um, he takes what you give him mm-hmm. and turns it against you. He has concepts that he's working on, but he just flows. It's literally like, just literally flowing. Like, have you ever seen somebody dance or anything like that? Like, you ever see like, like really weird, like rave yeah, hand, yeah, yeah. hand dancing? That's kind of what he does. He's just kind of chilling and flowing. And all of a sudden he's taking your back and you're getting choked unconscious because he took what you gave him and used it against you. I impose my will. I'm, I have a specific set of things that I'm trying to accomplish. Right. Now, if you give me something that's better in that moment, and you beat me, I'm going to try my hardest to get back to my game plan because then if I start playing your game, then I'm not in my wheelhouse. I'm not in my comfort zone. If you make me scramble a lot, if you make me move a lot, if you make me go inverted and literally be upside down with like my feet over my head, that's not a comfortable position to me yeah. and mentally or physically. Right. So I got to get out of that as quickly as possible and get back to my my plan A. Yeah. Cardio-wise, like, I mean, these you, you're in ridiculously good shape. when For jujitsu. Yeah. I'm in good jujitsu shape. Like I don't have a six pack right now. I have an eight pack, but I'm in shape for jujitsu. Like I could do an hour of rolling, a couple five minute rounds with 40 seconds, 45 seconds. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. But what if I, so if I went in there, could I do like a round? I probably couldn't even do a round, I bet. You could do a round with somebody like me because I would not make you exert all that much effort. You would put, you would be exerting effort because of who you are and the lack of knowledge you have on that subject. Right. But, much like when you start boxing, you're like, ah, oh, I could do anything for three minutes. And you're like, fuck, no, this. I can't. You right, know? it's the same thing. Same thing. It, the first round is like, it's just five minutes ago, just wait. And then the next round you go, all right, it's five minutes. They go, I don't want to do that again. Yeah. Like there's, there, most of the time what happens is people start and if they're going all out and we're doing like a legit fight sparring, they'll be round on, round off. Right. So they get five minutes on, five minute minutes. rest off for between rounds, the next five minute round, plus the next one minute rest. So they're getting five on, seven off. Okay. So it's 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 daunting. Yeah. It's it's really, it's unfamiliar territory. You're, yeah. you're getting dragged into deep water and you don't know how to swim. Can you see, are, are you going to be doing this, how old are you? 38, just turned 38 can you, in January. Can you see yourself doing this in 20 years? You'll, you'll be I'll doing, doing this, this for the rest I'll of your life. I'll die on the mats. Yeah. You'll die there if, if you get smarter there's a guy um makahal stromboski marcio stromboski that's down in norwalk who is a coral belt which is i think seven stripes he's like a seventh degree black belt it's literally a red and white belt it looks like a, a coral snake it's super cool his thing is wrist locks so he's not throwing his legs up crazy things he goes right and he goes what's a, what's okay so what is a wrist lock a wrist lock there's six different ways that you can bend a wrist to make it break the two traditional ones are Think about it like your your arms straight up and your hand just flops down and you're trying to get your fingers to touch the tips of your fingers to touch your forearm. So that's a wrist. So I would push down and you're going to feel like your wrist breaks. The next way is the back, like your fingertips are bent backwards all the way and that's a wrist break. Those are the two traditional wrist locks. It doesn't require a lot of strength to break somebody's wrist. It doesn't require a lot of flexibility to break somebody's wrist. So it's really good for older people. This guy's probably closing in on his 70s. Really? And he's teaching high-level Brazilian jiu-jitsu down in Norwalk. He's also been doing it his entire life, so he has economy of movement. Yeah, He knows how to move. His body is developed for this. So the more you do it, the better you get at it, but you're never done. No. The game's constantly evolving. You just keep getting better. It just keeps getting better. And you, there's my coaches specifically, uh, the Cruvenel brothers, Marcos and JP, they would tell me that they work a move for a year. They're like, one brother, move. all I did for all, all of 2017 was Kimura's. 
So they didn't do triangles. They didn't do arm bars. They just did these one simple Kimura arm lock. They got really good at that move, put it in their pocket, moved on to the next, next one. My other coach says he tries something six months before he teaches it to anybody. He tries it on white belt. He watches a video tutorial on it, learns it from somebody, tries it on white belts, tries it on blue belts, tries it with us in class, then tries it during open mat sparring with people he knows, goes to other gyms, tries it with them, tries it in a competition. If at any point in time it fails, he mm-hmm. doesn't teach it to us. But if he gets all the way to a competition and he hits it and it works, then he brings it back to us. So there's a lot of development that goes into just instruction. In this oh, regard. yeah. Like the things that I'm teaching are very, very basic because I've been doing them for 10 years. Exactly. I'm not teaching the lear- the move that I learned last week because yeah. I'm not even good at it yet. Right. So it's – I mean, I, you know, that's, that actually brings up a good point. It's like in this world we live in right now, everybody wants um, everything all at one time. Yeah. Right? I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. Mm-hmm. But in reality – what we all need to do is focus on one thing. Yes. Right? Yes. Get really good at it. Yeah. Perfect it. Yeah. Then move on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It, it, with my job, we call it acquisition, mastery, and maintenance. So, again, I work with kids with autism. You teach something, a skill they don't have. You identify a skill they don't have in an assessment. It can be just watching them or it can be the, the parents filling out an interview. You teach them that skill to mastery. Once they master it, they do it a sufficient amount of times. You score them on it. They get 100%. Then you have to generalize it so they can do that skill. Maybe they can only do it at home. They need to do that in the in the community. They need to do it at school. You need to do it with mom, dad, sister, brother, whoever. Right. And then after you taught it to generalization, then you need to maintain it. So you teach it less often, but you check to see that they're still doing that skill. That's essentially what you're doing. You're, right. you're teaching somebody the, the concept of a movement. You're mastering it in that one specific location you're generalizing it out into a larger population environment whatever it is and then you're kind of putting it in your back pocket you're not using it every day but if the, if the time arises you need to use it you don't have to start all the way over from scratch that's right. how our brains are wired you then work on maintenance of that skill exactly exactly and you know it goes back to people's you know i, I posted something the other day about i think it was yesterday a, a, there was like a fat guy drinking a beer yeah and with the miss universe yeah and he's like she's got a big nose but that, that, that's the world we live in. Everyone just assumes that, well, that, that woman is beautiful. She's got a great body. Oh, she was probably just born with looking right. like that. Right. But the amount and – and it goes back to, like, you know, the Tiger Woods, the Kobe Bryants, your coach in jiu-jitsu, like David Goggins. These guys put in the work yeah. every single day. You see the results in the public, but you don't see the work. Oh, you don't see the work. Like – like, you know, the guys that are, you know, the Michael Jordans of the world, you know, they practice this, you know, Tiger Woods, a Kobe shot. Kobe was the first one on the court and the last one off. The first one. And on he's th- making the most amount of money and he doesn't have to be there, but he has to be there. But he has to be yes. there because because these guys, I you know, the, the professionals, the right. experts. Right. Okay. The 1% of the 1%. The 1% of the 1% are so driven to be the best. That they're up taking free throw shots at three o'clock in the morning, yeah, or chip shots on the green at one a.m. Yeah, the, that's what they're doing. Yeah, you only see the the product at the end, right? And then everyone makes an assumption. Must be nice. Must be nice. Yeah, you know what I mean. Must be this. Must be that. Andy Frisella, who has a, who's the owner of CEO First Form, uh, has a podcast, um, real as fuck right now, and then he had the MFCO project, but he talks about this on the business standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, like he drives nice cars. Okay. Must be nice. He, he gets that all the time. Yeah. He pulls up in his Bentley to get gas. Mm-hmm. All here must be nice. Mm-hmm. He must have grown up with a lot of money. Well, 
20 years ago, I was sleeping on a piss mattress. I had $600 in my pocket. Right. So for me, you know, you know, it's like people want, that's their way to, to get out of working hard. Correct. Saying that. Correct. Must have been nice. Yeah. Must have been gifted to you. So I have a, I have a buddy who I met through Tap Cancer Out and he... This guy's super dedicated. He's a blue belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He lives in Chicago. He came to Connecticut when we had a like a sub-only showcase during COVID. And I think it was August. So mm-hmm. we couldn't do the tournaments, but they figured out a way to do the one-on-one matches. And he showed up and he didn't have a coach. He had no one here with him. He had no one supporting him. He had no one helping him. Um, so he was like, hey, is, is there anyone that would be willing to be in my corner? And I'm one belt higher than him. But he was like, hey, man. And I... I gave him a little bit of tutorial. I gave him a little bit of, I'm like, what's your game? And we talked about it a little bit and, you know, we became friends. Pretty cool guy. His name's John Gibson. He's got a podcast and he posted a video on how to get sponsors. Right. The first thing is being open and like just making sure that you're, you know, out there and you've, uh, you've, you've defined your brand. Like you've done a really good job of defining your brand. The Lions Breath movement is a brand. You've yeah. cultivated it. Everyone that comes here knows exactly what you stand for. You know what you're about. Yeah. The next thing is you got to do the work. Yeah. Step two is do the work. Right. If you don't do the work, if you don't post every day, if you don't make yourself available, if you don't continue to culture that brand, you don't constantly switch things around, you're not going to get to the next level where when you just ask, ask people, be open and ask people, then they're not going to sit there and be like, why would I talk to this guy? Like, yeah, he's got a thousand followers, but he's also got no posts. He's got nothing. So the goal that he wanted was to achieve a sponsorship. So he developed his brand. He did the work. And then after he found some things, he stayed in that brand. Exactly. In that niche. So if somebody comes in and be like, Hey man, do you want to do CBD? He's like, nah, it's not what I'm about. Hey, we've got, he's uh, sponsored by rain. Okay. The, 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 the energy drink company. Yeah. So they, they he tried some he asked and boom, they, now he's now they're sponsoring him exactly. he's got a discount code and he's making some money off yeah him. so but you gotta do the work yeah the middle I'm, part is the work man yeah that's you know we have a minute and 30 seconds but i want to get the 20 seconds here and then give adam a minute um but that's the thing i get you know it's like you know oh how did you get those followers and all this you have twenty five thousand followers like you must have bought those no man, like I've been posting for fucking five years right. every day, right. and you know I, I work with First Form, I work with Whoop, mm-hmm. um, and I, I mean I guess they're sponsors, but and you know I can make some money on it, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day you got to put in the work. It's, right. It doesn't just happen overnight, right? You know, and work doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be you it, know, but demoralized. It has like, to be consistent. Right. It has to be consistent. That, that's what it is. It has to be consistent. So we have 45 seconds. I want to give a shout out to Adam. Like this is his third time on the podcast. He's moving his family to Florida. Yep. When are you moving down? Um, driving my Jeep Compass and my 14 foot boat down next Saturday, the 12th of March. Or 13th of March. So he's moving down. Uh, he's been. Uh, an amazing uh, guest on here. It's brought us him and I back together as friends, which is which is cool. So I appreciate you you coming on again. Appreciate you too, man. Um, we've got 15 seconds. Fuck Kevin Seaman. <laughs> um, but li- listen, wish you the best, you and your family. And I'm sure I'm going to have you on the podcast. It's just it's going to be via video. That's fine. All right, guys. Listen, enjoy the weekend. God bless. Talk to you soon. Dude.